I'm Andrew Murata, host of the Education Leadership and Beyond podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you are listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Reflect Ed, the podcast where I share my perspective on the challenges and successes that are taking place in our schools and focus on goal setting and plans for future improvement. Through rich conversation and meaningful dialogue, we will discuss practical ways to make schools better for students and educators. Right, welcome to Reflect Ed. I'm your host, AJ Bianco. Thank you for joining me for episode 12. If this is your first time listening, I appreciate you giving the podcast a try. If this is not your first time and you're back, I appreciate you coming back for more. It means a lot. In this episode, I talk to David Frangiosa. And if you are a returning listener to this podcast, you're going to say, Dave again? And I'm going to say, yeah. So while Dave is a good friend of mine, uh, we enjoy the conversations that we have, but this episode is a little different because on this episode of Reflect Ed, we're talking to Dave about his upcoming book that will actually be released on March 30th. And the title of this book is Going Gradeless, Shifting the Focus to Student Learning. And Dave in his physics classroom has been a huge proponent of assessment and changing the assessment to make sure that it fits what he believes is the appropriate approach. Uh, this doesn't mean that he has no grades in his classroom, as we're going to talk about in the interview. Dave really focuses on feedback with students for their growth. So in this interview, Dave is going to talk about how he has reformed assessment. He's going to talk about why he wrote the book with his co-author, Elise Burns. Uh, and you're going to hear a lot of passion from Dave in this interview. Um, it all comes together very nicely. And I'm going to ask you that if you are interested in this book, go grab it. Check it out. It's on the Corwin website. I'm going to link it into the show notes. Um, But I think in this interview, Dave's really bringing you a lot with his book. So I appreciate you listening. Thank you for giving Reflect Ed some time. And without further ado, here's Dave Frangiosa on his interview for his book, Going Gradeless. Right here we are, episode 12 of Reflect Ed. I'm here with another guest, a guest you've heard many times before, a good friend of the show, a friend of mine, Dave Frangiosa. And today we're going to be focused on something a little different than we have been the last two times. So, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce Dave Frangiosa to Reflect Ed. What's up, Dave? Nothing much, AJ. How you doing? Oh, you know, living the dream. Living the dream as we record this during a uh, pandemic. So, Dave, this is about you. I'm going to give you the floor. So, why don't you tell the audience who you are, what you do? Uh, this might be the first time they're hearing from you. All right. So, uh, I'm a husband, uh, a father of two kids, a, a boy and a girl. I am a high school physics teacher. Um, recently released a podcast, a blog, and all of that is in support of. Um, a book that I'm very proud of that's coming out on March 30th. So the, uh, the title of the book is going gradeless, shifting the focus to student learning. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm just real excited for that to, uh, get out there. Yeah. Dave, we're, we, as a community of learners are very excited for this book. I know I'm excited for this. I can't wait to get my hands on it and start diving in because the idea of gradeless and that's what we're going to talk about today. The idea of gradeless is something that really has taken off, especially during this time when everybody is focused on, you know, what grade should look like, how to assess their kids. The tests aren't working, formative assessment, summative assessment. But I think more than anything is the idea that there's learning loss. So how do we assess kids on learning loss? I know that's something that, that you are very <laughs> passionate about, and we'll get yeah. to that in a little bit. But why don't you tell the listener. What do you mean when you say gradeless? 
All right. So the term gradeless is, it's really confusing because, you know, people think that just removing a grade will increase the outcomes, right? So just removing that focus when we're really talking about feedback. Okay. So we have the two different types of feedback. We have evaluative and we have descriptive and, you know, grades fall into that evaluative feedback. So and I, I know that conversation gets a bit cloudy because some people who don't do grades are still providing evaluative feedback and it's still those same harmful practices that you get with grades. So um, we really focused on not just shifting away from grades, but shifting away from practices that would get in the way of student learning. So when we talk about going gradeless, we're really talking about shifting to a model that prioritizes um, descriptive feedback that's going to take students through a learning progression. So how can we advance their skills and knowledge from a strengths perspective instead of this deficit model of all of the things that they can't do? So we identify what do they do well and how can we expand from there? Yeah. You know, so when we talk about grade lists, that was the final hurdle or the, the last obstacle that kind of put all the pieces together. Um, any intervention on its own will have, you know, some impact on student learning and what I've, and I'm guilty of this too when I started this journey, I would bounce from intervention to intervention. I tried different things. And when I wasn't getting the result that I wanted, I moved away from that and went to something different. And what I found through this process is instead of moving away from certain practices, I did them in conjunction with others. And I was still finding that students were plateauing or they, they weren't getting the results that I desired and all the conversations came back to the grade and you know, that evaluative feedback, that judgment on the student as either doing good work or poor work. And that was the final hurdle that we had to clear for them to truly learn. And so when I say grade list, that's what I refer to. So just, just to be clear for everybody out there, you're not just, you're not removing a grade per se. You're still doing things in your classroom that are meaningful. You're still making connections with the students. You're still assessing in some way. But the focus here is more on the feedback. And it's it's not so much like, oh, you did a great job. Here's a check plus. Here's an A. Yeah. So we we do assessment all the time. I do more assessment now than I did in a graded environment. Because we're constantly trying to evaluate where are these students in their learning progression. But you're right. That feedback is no longer good job. It's okay. Your, your CER, the claim is very strong. The next time you do something like this, um, if you support it with evidence, that would make it even stronger or the type of evidence that they're supporting it with. Each time we find what they do well and we supplement it with, here's the next one or two things that you need to do to advance your learning. So the, the idea of grade list, the idea of standards-based grading, I think interests a lot of people, like, like, like we said. So why don't you tell us your story? Where, where did this come from? How did you find this passion about going gradeless? Where did it start? Where, why, how did you get to this point? I know it's been many, many years. Yeah. So this is my 15th year teaching. Um, and I started this journey about six years ago. When I started teaching, I went alternate route. I had no background in education whatsoever. And I was very strong on the content, but I didn't know how to relay it to students. So I just kind of taught in the way that I was taught and it wasn't landing. And, um, throughout my career, you know, I, I started in the beginning as a novice teacher, I made excuses. There, there was always a reason for why it didn't work. 
um, whether it be the students weren't trying hard enough, I didn't have the resources, whatever it was. And then um, the, the district that I'm currently in, this is my third district. And when I was seeing the same challenges, I said, okay, it, it can't be the kids right? There has to be something bigger here. And I had tried all those other interventions. As I said, I, you know, I, I changed, um, I revamped my entire curriculum. Um, I went to an inquiry based approach, uh, student centered, like, you know, the coach in the classroom guide on the side and it was better, but I, the students still weren't getting to where I knew they could go. And every conversation, where I'd say, okay, we have our science practices. I'm a science teacher. We have the NGSS. We have, we have it framed out. These are the skills that you need to acquire and say, okay, you're not doing this because here, here's the thing that you need to develop. So don't worry about the grade right now. Let's develop this skill. And eventually that grade will come. But when you're doing it in a system that every time you're giving them feedback, that feedback is attached to a grade that's going to last the entire year. They don't care what you're telling them. They don't care about that development. They're going to play the game so that they can get the grade that they want or think that they need. And all that feedback falls flat. So um, it really started out of frustration. I got to a point where I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I, it was either something had to change or I had to find a different job. Yeah. I I just, I couldn't continue banging my head against the wall, getting the same results. So I, all the conversations were the grade. That's what was getting in the way. And, um, my principal now, Tim Wheeland, um, he, he had was, he was talking to a different teacher about piloting this in a singleton saying, look, you know, um, just try a gradeless models like gradeless. Yeah, I, I'm in. Can I do it? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I started developing the model um, probably the end of September with the intention of doing it the following school year. So implementing everything um, that I had designed. Um, but I kind of dove into it and I, I really didn't have any experience with it. No knowledge. I came across I can statements. I, I like that strengths perspective of that. So I developed uh, a model. I had about 60 standards or 60 I can statements, which was completely unmanageable, unsustainable. And I realized that within like the first hour of actually implementing this. But as I was designing it, I said, all right, these are all the things that I want my students to be able to do and the things that I want them to know by the end of the course. And I presented that, ran it up the ladder, and uh, everybody knew that this is a work in progress, and they were very supportive. And as long as the focus was on students improving and learning, and as long as their best interest was always at the center of this, they were willing to let me try this with the understanding that if something needed to be changed, it would be. And by mid-year, so right at the semester break, I had it all fleshed out to where I said, you know what, let's give it a go. And uh, I got a lot of good data from that. Uh, I got to compare the first half of the year in a traditional model to the second half of the year in um, a more feedback-centered model, um, which I, I discuss at length in, in the book. Um, and you know, that first model, it was terrible. Admittedly, I, I mean, it was, it was very, very bad. Um, it wasn't sustainable. It was clunky. I couldn't communicate it very well, but the one thing that it did, it allowed students to focus on learning. And so I saw very quickly all of the pros and cons of that first system that I had developed. And so, um, over the next few years, I started like trying to really enhance the pros and eliminate the cons. And when Elise, Elise Burns, who's uh, a colleague of mine, when she, she co-authored the book, um, when she joined me that following year, we started bouncing ideas off of each other and uh, really started refining this idea. And for the past, I'd say 
two to three years, it's just been adjustments as opposed to wholesale changes. So we really have a model now that um, the students understand that's sustainable. Um, we can give pretty close to immediate feedback um, on an assignment. And I think one of the things that we had in mind as we were designing this is, is this scalable? Not just, is this something that we can do? And this is the way that we do it, but is this something that we can give to other science teachers cross-curricular? Can it, can history teachers use this framework, art, math, uh, ELA. And so that was our focus as we were designing this. And we got to a place where, um, we really think that we kind of, um, have a framework that everybody can use as a platform that they can, they can build their courses on. So I think you touched on a lot of important things there that I hope the listener was, was actually hearing what you were saying, not just listening to your voice. But, you know, one of the things that, that I'm taking away from this, you started out by saying you taught the way that you were taught. And I think we all get into profession doing the exact same thing. I think every one of us jump into a classroom and say, this is what I used to do while I was a student. This is how it worked. I'm going to keep doing it. You know, and I think it's good that, that you broke the mold in some way that this, this idea of standards based and grade lists is getting more popular, but you know, you said it's a focus on learning. It's a focus on feedback. It's a continuation. It's not something that's just, you know, Hey, good work. Let's continue to move on. You know, what we're going to talk about here is, you know, this, this goes for an entire year. You know, it starts at the beginning of the year, you have the check-ins, you have your, your points throughout. And at the end, you know, the students have achieved something throughout a year that while the grade is not the focus, that, that learning is really strong. And the last thing that I'm going to ask you here is the I can statements. You said you had a large number of I can <laughs> statements. Yeah. Did you create the I can statements or did, or is it something that you researched and found a bunch of them and started putting them together? A little bit of both. So, um, as I was researching, um, and I, I really didn't do too much research going into this initial model. Uh, I came across the ICANN statements and uh, saw some examples and it, it, there were actually some examples from a physics class. And I was like, all right, yeah, I can use some of these. And then I modeled other ones after things that I valued. Right. And um, from there kind of pared them down. And um, as I started doing other research, not just on standards-based grading, because uh, we've actually that we started with standards-based grading and I don't think you can call it that anymore. We've evolved past that and that's not a knock on, on standards-based grading. Mm -hmm. It's just, um, you know, there, there's differences to what we do. I don't know what you would call what we do, but we use learning progressions instead of proficiency scales. So there, there are some differences there. Um, and what we found, um, and if you talk about cognitive load theory, you want to eliminate redundancy. So redundancy is where you're assessing the same thing in multiple areas, multiple ways, right? So um, what we were finding is we were, if we were assessing this one, I can statement, the, there was another one that had to be assessed the exact same way, but it was called a different thing. So we're splitting the attention of the students. So what we wound up doing is, collapsing those. And then what we found is there were some dependencies. So there were certain things that had to happen that students had to be able to do before they could attain that next level of development. And so as we started collapsing these and condensing these, we wound up getting this progression that, oh, okay, you know, they need to know this before they can do that. And so we started building these progressions and then started refining them. And that process took us about three years. So it wasn't a, a quick process, but uh, I know people listening, they're going to be like three years. That's a lot of front loaded effort. Um, but that's part of the reason why we wrote the book is um, we made a ton of mistakes and we figured this out so we could 
reduce that learning curve for anybody else who's trying to do something like this. So that was another one of our goals is, um, you know, we didn't set out to write a book, but um, we got to a point where what we had, we, we felt was too valuable not to share. So um, I, I think I'm kind of dancing around your question, but the I can statements, um, you know, part was ones that I saw parts uh, I developed. And then over time, we just kind of merged them together and um, we use I can statements as a learning progression. Um, and we now have condensed it down to um, 10 practices that we assess throughout, throughout our course. It's the same 10 practices for the entire year. And so that's where we're at now. That's, that's really, that's really powerful. I, I like that. I think it's really beneficial for the students to kind of have such a, such a unique kind of base that they have to follow. I like that. So you mentioned before you're looking to scale this out so that it works with multiple content areas. So I think the person listening to this right now may say to themselves, I'm not a high school teacher. It's not going to work for me. Does this practice when they, when they read this book, is this going to help a middle school teacher, an elementary teacher? How is it going to relate to, you know, the administrators who are reading this as well? Well, the elementary teachers already do this. So they're, they're not grading their students. They're giving them foundational skills and they're taking them through a learning progression. And, you know, the middle school teachers, yeah, we have some examples of rubrics that we designed specifically for middle school, but learning is learning, right? There, there's a process to it. There's a cycle to it. Um, and none of this is our opinion. We've based this off of educational research that's been around for half a century or more. And we've just taken all of those different, um, all of those different studies and just kind of put them together in a way where it, it just functions really, really well. So it's not about this is how high school kids learn. This is how learning happens. And we're just removing all the obstacles that are in the way of students learning. So it doesn't really matter what level you're at. Elementary teachers, you know, they're not so focused on grades. So this isn't as big of a challenge for them. But I think a lot of middle school teachers, um, what we wrote will resonate with them. See, I think that's one of the reasons I'm so curious. I think at a middle school, this could really be great for our students because I don't, as a middle school administrator, I don't like just looking at kids and say, here's your grade. Like middle school is a time for kids to grow up. Middle school is a time for kids to learn, to make mistakes and to kind of find their passions. So then when they get to high school, they can be challenged more based on those passions. So I think for the middle school educator out there, this could really, you know, be a, a good start. It doesn't have to be a fifth grade, you know, could be an eighth grade classroom, but like trickle down if you need to. I, I really think it could work out. And I think uh, from what I'm hearing from you is that this book is really going to have some great benefits to help people get started, you know, basic. Like you're not, I don't want people to think that like, oh, he spent so much time doing this. He's already got everything planned out. You know, you mentioned before it took three years to kind of narrow things down. Is this book a good book for somebody to read that says, I just want to get started? Absolutely. So we have it broken down in a way. Um, we want everybody to get something from it, whether they are just exploring alternate assessment or whether they've been doing it for 10 years. So we want to provide something for everybody. We have um, a step-by-step -step guide on how you can get started. We have the chapters broken out in a certain way. Um, we detail exactly the path that we took because I think it's really important there's a lot of stuff out there that's telling you do this and we tried it and we're, we're going to explain 
what we saw when we did that and why we made a decision to go in a different direction. So um, anybody who's exploring alternate assessment, um, we, we really tried to put something in there for everybody. Um, now, I, I wanted to actually go back to something you were saying about uh, middle school teachers getting value. We fall into the trap. Elementary school teachers say, well, we're getting you ready for middle school. Middle school teachers say, well, we're getting you ready for high school. And high school teachers say, we're getting you ready for college and the workforce. Nowhere in those statements do they ever say anything about learning, right? If you want to get a student ready for me, teach them foundational skills and knowledge, right? So don't hide behind the, we're getting you ready, Let's just go back to basics and say, what do they need to know? Like, what what do you value and what do you want every one of your students walking out of your class with? And that's kind of where we started when we were developing this model. And if everybody kind of goes back to that and don't worry about what the next class is doing, right? You mentioned learning loss. There's no such thing. At best, it's a flawed term, and I have a blog post coming out on that on April 1st, um, but there's reduced opportunity for growth. I'll give you that, but in terms of learning loss, if they've lost learning in this short a time, they never had it. So the, that's my stance on that. I'm not going to go too deep into that, but you know, if, if we're teaching these foundational skills and really making sure that we're giving them the feedback and we're taking them step by step, it doesn't matter where they are in their learning journey, right? We can meet them where they are and we coach them to the next developmental level. And there's consistency between courses. There's continuity from grade to grade. And that doesn't mean everybody's doing everything exactly the same, this is a framework. So you still have the art of teaching, right? Elise and I approach our courses very different ways, but we have the same framework, you know? And I think that's an, another thing that people kind of misinterpret is, you know, oh, standards-based grading, alternate assessment, whatever it is. Well, you have to do things exactly the same way. No, like there's the art of teaching, but that framework, you know, what you value, what the outcomes are, the outcomes are the same, how you get them there. You know, that's, there's certain things that work within my personality, um, that don't work for Elise. And there's certain things that work within her personality that don't work for me. And, you know, if, and that's really what we tried to do is just focus on, okay, here are the foundational concepts. Here are the the skills that they need here is the targeted developmental level. Do what you need to do to get them to these targets. So in, in this idea, there are a variety of gurus or people who think that they're gurus who are writing books, doing research focused on this idea of gradeless and standards based. Um, you, you use them as your research. Am I correct in saying that? A few um, well, I looked at their work after I developed my model when I plateaued and I was looking for ideas on how I could get past that. And that's another reason we wrote the book is I was a little frustrated that nothing addressed what I was seeing. <clears throat> so, and I guess what makes us different is we're teachers. We're in the classroom. We live this every day. A lot of the stuff that's written and no offense to administrators, it's written by administrators who are, you know, they're distanced from the classroom. They don't live it every day. And when you're telling somebody this is what should work as opposed to living it and taking the steps to actually do it, it it's very different. And, you know, take that a step further and you have a lot of consultants writing books and, you know, research is different than application. And so, I think we have the benefit of applying this and, um, 
yeah, I, I know there's going to be a lot of, and I, I'm not going to knock the gurus because they got us to this point of where people are actually having this conversation. So I think the work that they've done is very, very important. Um, but I think a lot of them are going to be unhappy with me because there are certain core principles that I completely disagree with. And I, I'm very clear about that. And, you know, um, I don't think there's really anything that they could say that would change my mind about those. So then how, why should the, the listener turn the pages of this book instead of going to one of those people who are trusted, trusted going grade list people and SBG people they're posting on, on Twitter and all that stuff, you know, they're famous. Like we say a name, like was it warm, warm Ellie, right? Say his name and everybody knows, Oh, gradeless. You know, there's a bunch of other people out there, but that's, that's the one everybody kind of goes to. So why should the listener pick up your book? Well, <laughs> once again, you know, we're in the classroom and I, I think, um, he's done a lot for education, but I, I think we need to evolve past that. So he's got us to this point and, um, it, it, he was a practitioner and he got us to where we are now. And I think we're taking the torch and running, you know? So it, it's not that, um, what they did was wrong, but you know, we've taken that. And as you know, more, you do more. And, um, we didn't build our model based on anybody else's model. We went back to Bloom's taxonomy. We went to John Sweller's cognitive load, uh, Ruth Butler's feedback research, Dylan William and formative assessments. And so we went to educational research. We didn't go to what's the best standards-based model. That's not where we started. So we went to what was good for students how can we support student learning and, you know, just take that to a level that I personally had not taken it to before. And when I looked at all that other work as a classroom practitioner, I had some severe challenges with implementing some of those ideas in my classroom, whether they were inefficient or they were unsustainable. And that's where you you see a lot of people who go down that alternate assessment route. Um, like if they're doing something that's valuable, a lot of times it's unsustainable, right? So uh, especially when you're talking about these redo policies and like the redo policies, if you're doing unlimited redos, first off, it's inequitable because the students who need that the most, Right are the students who typically have the most challenges learning. So you're asking them to give up their lunch, give up after school. They're doing more work to get half the grade. And so you keep putting them perpetually behind. So the way we do it, we still have um, that forgiving nature, understanding that learning is a process, but rather than redo, because we focus on skills, we reassess that same skill in the next unit. So they're never behind, right? And it's never, you didn't do this. There is no deficit thinking or conversations in my classroom. It's all great. This is what you can do. The next time you do this, try and add these one or two things. And so I didn't see any of that in the other work. Um, and I, I think there's elements that, you know, we add to what they had done. So there, there's a lot of foundational things that are similar, but, you know, frankly, I, I, I do think that we've advanced the conversation with what we've done in the past six years. Plus I have, uh, being in the classroom, I surveyed right now I have over 500 students surveys and I did a great analysis on over a thousand students. So I have that data where an administrator or um, a consultant wouldn't. And I've been asking my students all along, 
you know, what works for you, what doesn't. I've been talking to parents and taking their feedback and, you know, that's influenced our model. You know, so I don't know um, how much those other approaches have taken that into account. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but I'm glad I did because you hit on a couple of things there that I think are so important for everybody out there. So you are in the classroom, you're still doing this, you've been improving this for years, and I still think, you know, you feel you probably have a little bit of ways to go. So it's not going to end just because you wrote this book. You know, you're going to keep going, you're going to keep making moves, you're going to keep making changes. You know, you got the student's point of view, you got teacher's point of view, you have the parent's point of view. So let's mm-hmm. talk about that real quick, because I know you and I have talked about this, you know, before we even recorded. What is the parent's point of view? Are they on board? Is there pushback? Is this something you talk about in the book before I give too much away? Yeah, we, we talk about that, but we can have that conversation here, too. Um that's a loaded question because it varies. And what you'll see is the students who have typically had success and know how to play the game of school. Um, they're the ones that have the biggest challenge with this because now they have to actually show that they know something, right? They can't navigate and play school anymore where um, the Students who have typically had the biggest challenges with school and always met with negative grades and um, failing courses, they've responded so positively. And not that um, not that the quote unquote high achieving students and parents haven't, um, but it's an adjustment for them. And this doesn't negatively impact their learning at all. They actually um, they've improve their learning as well, but there's such a greater impact on, um, you know, our collaborative students, our special education students and their parents are, uh, the the ones that I've encountered are grateful for the switch at first when I couldn't communicate it as well as I can now, um, there was a little confusion and, you know, why are you doing this to them in their most important junior year? You're going to be the reason they don't get into college. Um, you know, so there, um, there was that, but then I would have conversations say, no, look, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. This is why I think it's in the best interest of your student. And usually after that conversation, when we clear up the confusion, um, they would leave, even if they didn't agree with it, they'd feel better about it. And now six years in, I haven't had a negative parent interaction in years. So, um, it's, it's very clear what we're doing, um, what our targets are. Everything is transparent. It's released at the beginning of the year, all of our communication. Um, it all references, well, this is what we're expecting them to do. This is how well they do it. And here's what we're asking them to improve on. Um, if students, if intervention needs to be triggered, we're doing that way earlier in the year. I can identify a student in October, November now and say, okay, this is somebody that isn't developing at the rate that we're expecting. So let's figure out what's the reason. Right. And so then we get guidance involved. We'll get child study team involved. We'll get the parents involved and we'll create an action plan in October, November, as opposed to May saying, Hey, what can we do to drag this kid across the finish line? And at that point in May, it's only about a score and credit and moving on and not learning in October, November, we can actually create an action plan that would give that student the foundational skills that when they do get credit for the class, they actually stand a fighting chance in the next course. You know, so, um, the, the parents have responded well to it. The students, um, you know, they're used to it now. Uh, I, I guess being that I've done it for six years, they hear from previous students. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really, it's not bad. Just, you know, um, and a lot of them will actually tell you in the surveys that they prefer it. So you got the parents on board, you got the students on board. What about your colleagues? Where do they stand? How do they feel? Are they interested in joining, uh, you know, in, in your quest here? 
or you know, are, are a lot of teachers just kind of stuck and you don't have to bad mouth teachers. I don't want you to do that. Are they kind of just stuck with what they're doing because they're comfortable and they know it works or have they kind of merged the two? Well, there, we have um, a good portion of our staff that's trying alternate assessment. They're not doing exactly what we're doing, um, but they're experimenting with their own alternate assessment as I think they should. Like, you know, there's nothing to say that, and I'm not saying that my way is the way I'm saying my way is a way that's, you know, I feel is very scalable. Um, we've had a lot of success with it. Um, but we have other teachers that are experimenting with other things. And I think we're at a point where we can sit down and compare notes. I, the challenge is, as I said earlier, it's a lot of front loaded effort. So, you have to go through the process of finding what you value. How do you communicate that to students? Then how do you assess that? So if this is something that you're doing on your own, it's a monster of a task. So I think that is a deterrent to a lot of people. And, you know, we really tried to provide a resource that could cut that time down and, um, you know, that's kind of why I have the blog alongside the book and it's kind of why I started the podcast. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do like one topic in each episode so that people can kind of follow along and say, okay, um, this is what I'm trying to do. Let me listen to that episode, you know, rather than have to sift through a 30 or 40 minute episode, I try to keep them six to 10 minutes to where, all right, you can listen to it and try and apply it. You know, and I'm, I'm working on building that out now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but it's rewarding. It's one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my career, but it's also been the most rewarding. I could see, I could see why it's rewarding. I could see you, you have so much passion about this, you know, and, and as we've mentioned before, you know, we talk outside of this and, you know, I, I know the story a little bit more and, and. I'm very excited for the book because I feel like the book is all about your passion, your energy, everything you've been doing. And I know you're very proud of this and I know, you know, it's going to be great. It's going to be well-received. Um, but let's go a different direction right now. Cause you just brought it up. Why don't you talk to, to us about the, talk about the, the, the podcast, talk about the blog. What do you do in there? Where can people find that? Let's talk about that real quick. So I created a website, reimagineschools.com, and that has some infographics on it that takes people through our development. And by no means is it comprehensive. Um, you know, there's only so much you can do in a blog post. There's only so much you can do in a podcast. Um, but I tried to frame that mindset, um, guide people towards the research that we used and just give, you know, my opinion on what that research looks like in practice. So reimagineschools.com. Um, and then that'll link right to the WordPress site, or you can do reimagineschools.com backslash WP. And that goes to the blogs directly. Um, from earning to learning is the podcast and that's wherever you get your podcasts. And, um, there I have regular episodes where I'm doing those six to 10 minutes. And then I have other episodes where I'm interviewing other people in all facets of education. Um, and just trying to provide a resource that's all about, um, disrupting the status quo because traditional schooling wasn't designed for everybody. And we need to get to a point where every student has a pathway to learning. And that's really what we're trying to do. And all of those avenues kind of support that. Uh, people can find me on Twitter. Um, that's probably the easiest way to find me. Um, if you want to look at that stuff, everything's linked through there. Um, yeah. All right. So let's get everybody excited for the book one more time. So basically in the book, you know, you're sharing your shift to alternate assessment. You're sharing your perspective as classroom teacher. You talk about the impact uh, of this, this, I'm going to call it, I don't want to call it a program. 
I'm going to call it, call it a program for a second. The impact of this going gradeless. The book is going to have sample assessments and rubrics. It's going to have work samples from different grades and content areas. Uh, you're going to have your checklist for accountability and your review of collected data. So get everybody excited. Why do they want to, why do they want this book in their hands, Dave? This is it. This, this is the time. Why does the listener need this book? We all have a common goal. We want to move our students to learning. And this book, what we've done is outlined how can we remove as many obstacles as possible to get students to true learning rather than just surviving a course and getting credit and moving on. So we provide strategies, we provide samples of work, um, we talk about all of the decisions we made and why. So it's not just do this because we said so. Um, we provide, and when I say we provide research, I'm not going to bore people with the research. We reference it. We say like the highlights of it, you can go read it for yourself. I highly recommend it, but we're showing you the decisions that we made based on sound educational research from multiple sources. Um, we tie that all together. We discuss equity. We discuss SEL, um, you know, how to align this with a traditional grading model, because let's be honest, the majority of schools, we translate it to a grade, right? And I'm really not even opposed to that as long as we relegate the grade to communication and not currency. And, you know, we lay it all out for you as clear as we possibly can trying to provide as, as much of a roadmap to, um, to change as we can. And the results speak for themselves. Um, we have the students own words in this book. So I take a lot of students quotes and, um, I, I let you read them the good and the bad, right? So I'm not telling you this is all roses. All right. So uh, we try and be as honest about everything as we possibly can. And um, I, I don't know how many other people have the research that we have, um, have the experience in the classroom doing this that we have. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I know I'm biased, but you know, I, I think I'm very proud of what we put out there. As you should be. And and I think you know, I think the listener, I think whoever reads this book is going to get some great ideas to get started, and I think they're going to be on a, a great path, you know, for making them their classrooms or their schools gradeless. So, listener, here is the chance. Dave is very, very willing to send you a copy of your book, and if you want a signed copy, he said he'll sign it too. So, all you have to do. You've listened to this entire episode. You've heard Dave's points. You're going to go on to Twitter. You're going to find this episode. You are going to tweet at me, AJ Bianco, and at Dave, at David Frangiosa. And you are going to include either a takeaway, a quote from this, or a question that you have about going gradeless. And we will put your names in a little wheel of fun and we'll pull out somebody out there that wins this book from Dave. And that'll be, uh, Dave, your first, your first giveaway, man. My first giveaway. Woo. Signed copy. So make sure you, uh, find the tweets, tag us. You get your, you get your, get your book, get your book. I can't wait. That's gonna be so much fun. I'm, I'm so, I'm so happy for this. This is a long time coming. Look what the quarantine did for you, Dave. Yeah. Well, and look, I, I wanted to thank you directly because you have definitely been one of my biggest supporters and pushing me to do things that were a little outside of my comfort zone. So thank you for that. Oh, man, that's, how, that's how we grow. Get outside the comfort zone. I know we, we had talked about this in coffee to you three, three years ago now. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. And then here you are three years later, 
finally got the book in your hand. And uh, I, w- I wish we could see it right now. I wish I wish you had it. So I can yeah, I know. As, as we're recording this, but it's it, all good. It's in the mail. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Um, so Dave, before we go, I want to talk about the one more one more thing you got going on. Uh, if you're, you're listening to this listener, and it is March 29th or March 30th, Dave and Elise have something very special going on. So Dave, tell us about that. So we are going to do our first live stream. Uh, it'll be on YouTube. It'll be on Periscope. Um, it'll be 830 on March 30th. That is the release date of the book. We will be taking questions, um, inviting people into the studio to actually ask us directly. So we're trying to make this as interactive as possible. Um, I, I want people to know that this isn't something that we're just pushing out there and leaving people on their own. Um, we want to support anybody who wants our support. So join it. It'll be on YouTube. It'll be on Twitter, Periscope, um, eight 30 on March 30th. That's Tuesday night. Okay. So March 30th, eight 30 Eastern time, Dave, they can find that by, will you have that on your Twitter or how can they search that on YouTube? I have it on Twitter and, um, yeah, that, that's a great question. It's my first time streaming. So, uh, it, it's under going gradeless, a conversation with the authors. So, uh, I guess you would search that. Cool. It'll be linked in the show notes so that you can check it out there. Click on, yeah, that I can, we'll, I we'll, can we'll give you the link. It. Absolutely. Yeah. I already have it. Uh, there I you got, go. I got the email. I already got the email. Um, so jump in. You know, maybe we'll take some maybe we'll take some uh chatter there and see if we can grab somebody, give a free book. There we go. See who, see who does what. But look, Dave, congratulations. Very excited to read this. Um the listener is gonna be very excited to read this, very lucky to read this. Uh appreciate your time here. And uh why don't you plug one more time where everybody can find you, can find the book, find your podcast, find your blog, put it out there. You can find me at David Franjosa on Twitter. I'm working on, I'm not a big social media guy, but I'm working on getting LinkedIn and Facebook up and running. Give me some time on that one. Um, the website is reimagineschools.com and the podcast is from earning to learning. And you can find that uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, you can find Dave on LinkedIn. Just search his name, tag him, let him know you're, you're, you're stalking. Because we got to get Dave back in the social media game a little bit. All right. Welcome to the 21st century, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So that's it. David Franjosa, author of Going Gradeless. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Reflect Ed. If you have a question or would like to connect, hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at AJ Bianco. If you're finding value in this podcast, please help spread the word to other educators. You can subscribe, leave a rating or review, or share on social media with your takeaway and thoughts. Make sure to tag me and at ReflectEdPod so we can keep the conversation going. Talk to you soon.